I, uh, 90 to 100% of my analogies are always having to do with my children because they are objectively the most beautiful children in the world. And so I, I display that before you any, any chance I get. But what I often don't tell you is that parenting, being a parent, uh, has revealed a lot about me, has revealed a lot about my heart, namely uh, that I am undisciplined and uh, unbelievably selfish and, and just lazy overall. Okay, wasn't aware of this, had kids, became very aware of it, uh, because my children, though beautiful, uh, can, on occasion, uh, you know, give rise to frustration. It's real strange. Kids, like, don't obey you when you tell them to obey you. Or you're trying to do something and you just hear, dada, 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 and I just, what? You know, it just... <laughs> Just shut your sweet, beautiful mouth, right? What is that? Something just came out of me, right? Or, Joe, uh, put those knives down. Uh, we're not going to have this conversation again. Put the knives down. Put the knives down or we're going to have a consequence, which is code, because I know the government is listening, right? Consequence, uh, right? Put the knives down, okay? And one of the things in particular uh, that it has revealed is the kind of uh, fickle nature of my words, okay? Just how weak... My words are, Harvey, get off the table. I'm going to count to three. One, two, did you hear me before? I'm going to get to three eventually. Hey, we're going to have a consequence if I get to three. Three, okay, bud, I'm going to give you one more chance. You see what I'm saying? I'm like constantly padding. Joe, again, put the knives down. This is ridiculous. I'm get, we're going to do it. It's going to happen. I mean it, and then nothing happens. What does that reveal about my heart as I'm just, you know, padding my uh, discipline with just veiled empty threats, right? It shows I don't mean my words, right? In fact, uh, I, I just want to do my own thing, and my kids are kind of getting in the way of that. So if I can just threaten them enough to where they just finally obey me, then uh, without having to actually get up, go uh, do a consequence, which again, code, um, right? Uh, I, so I've, I've learned a lot about myself, Namely, that my words often don't mean what they should mean, right? I don't often mean what I say. My, my words are often uh, empty and fickle. There's a lot of padding that's happening, particularly in my parenting. And Jesus today is going to address this very same subject, the subject of oaths or of swearing, not cuss swearing, but swearing, promising, padding your words. And in talking about this, he's going to reveal something about the very heart of truth, the truth that's meant to be behind your words. So we're going to look at three things today, shocker. Number one, the reason for oaths. What are oaths? What, are, what is swearing? What's he even talking about? What's the reason for oaths? Number two, the heart of truth. And number three, the Savior who is truth. So reason for oaths, heart of truth, and the Savior who is truth. Let's look at this first section, the reason for oaths. Look at verse 33. Jesus speaking, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Okay, so if you've been with us for a little bit, you know we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, and in particular, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the most famous sermon ever preached. 
The most studied sermon in all of history takes up a huge chunk of Matthew. And we've been walking through section by section. We saw the the Beatitudes first. And now we're looking at this big section that's going to take us through the rest of chapter 5, which is Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Everything that has come before him, all of the Old Testament, all the arrows that have been pointing to him and the kingdom of God that he as the king is bringing in. He is not doing away with all the old. Rather, he is the fulfillment of the old. We looked a few weeks ago at, at the kind of foundational passage where he explicitly says, I have not come to abolish, to do away with. In fact, it's all pointing to me. And one of the things he's showing is the true meaning, the true intent of the law. What did God mean when he gave the law, to say it more plainly? So you see the difference. He's not giving a new law and wiping away the old, rather, he's saying, Here is the true heart of the law from the beginning. And we've been walking through, he gives that kind of foundational teaching, and then he's been walking through examples every single week. So the first one we saw, Carl preached, when God says don't murder each other, he doesn't just mean don't murder each other. What he's concerned about is the hatred in your heart, the anger in your heart that actually leads to murder. God doesn't just say don't commit adultery and then anything else is fine. God cares about the lust in your heart that leads to the adultery. God doesn't just have this kind of low view of divorce where whenever you want a divorce, you just give a certificate and can move on. Rather, again, refocusing on creation. God brings man and woman together. What God has brought together, let no man separate. And then today, oaths. Another example, oaths. So let's look one more time. Uh, Verse 33, Jesus is quoting the law here. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, this is not a explicit quote. Uh, in fact, it's kind of a kind of summary of several Old Testament passages. I've got a few examples here. Leviticus 19:12, you shall not swear by the, by my name falsely and so profane the name of God, I am the Lord. Numbers 30 verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to uh, delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing... You will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips. And you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So Jesus is kind of taking all these promises in the Old Testament law and summarizing them. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but rather perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So in several of those uh, laws, notice part of God's law in the Old Testament is taking into account human sinfulness. We saw this with divorce last week. You don't need any laws about divorce if sin doesn't exist that leads to divorce. You see that? So you don't need any laws about oaths if lying doesn't exist. Or to say it another way, oaths exist in the first place because of sin, because of lying. And so we have all these Old Testament laws propping around, uh, giving kind of barriers to human sinfulness. And Jesus is now going to address this. But first, probably helpful, maybe should have started with this. What is an oath, right? What, if, what is swearing? Uh, what are we talking about here? The, the idea here is things that you say to bolster 
the accuracy or the truthfulness of your statement by particularly invoking God's name, by invoking some sort of trans, transcendent entity, but namely God's name. And the idea here was, if you're calling upon God, God's name, uh, if you break your oath, he will punish you because you've, you've gotten his attention. You've gotten him to look at you and now he's paying attention. It's a similar way of saying, let me be cursed if I don't do this. Okay, so that's what's happening in the Old Testament. We have kind of some modern day examples of this saying, I swear to God. Don't just say, I swear, I swear to God. I've just gotten his attention and so now he's a witness to the truthfulness of my statement, or what do we do in court? I haven't been to court in a while, so I don't know if we do this anymore. Uh, they did it in To Kill a Mockingbird, and I don't know if times have changed since then. Uh, put your hand on a Bible, right? And I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. What do you, why are you doing that? You're calling as a witness scripture, right? Or God saying, I say in front of his attention that what I'm about to say is truthful. Okay, there's this idea that God's, you're invoking God's honor. His honor is at stake. Therefore, if you lie, he will punish you. Now, that all should make sense. This, you know, sometimes I'm having to like explain ancient things, but we have equivalent to that in, in our day. But in Jesus' day, again, they have, in the same way we've got a bunch of different denominations with a bunch of different interpretations of different passages, there's a bunch of different rabbis in Jesus' day that are wrestling with the Old Testament scriptures and coming up with different ideas of how do we uh, navigate these things. So in Jesus' day, there has arisen this idea that lying between people is basically okay as long as you're not kind of invoking God's name. God's not concerned as long as you don't say, you know, I swear by Yahweh. Okay, so there's this strong, uh, strange distinction where God only cares about our sinfulness if we invoke his name. And if we haven't invoked his name, we can basically do whatever we want. Or to say it another way, uh, you can be ungodly as long as you don't get God's attention. Right? That's, that's sort of the things that are happening here. If you make an oath, fulfill it. But no oath, no problem. Right? You tell someone you're going to do something, you don't do it. You've lied, but it doesn't really matter because you haven't called God's attention to that transaction. You see that? And so that's what Jesus is addressing here. Jesus, again, in this section, is showing the true intent of the law. But in doing that, he's correcting a lot of the misunderstandings of his day. Last week... People think divorce, you just roll up your certificate and put it in your wife's hand and says, you know, say, you, you've displeased me. I didn't want to take out the trash and you told me to be gone. And Jesus is like, no, no, uh, no, no. That's not what God meant by give her a certificate of divorce, right? Rather, God is the one who's designed marriage. And so similarly here he's saying this ridiculous oath system you've got going has majorly majorly missed the mark. So we're going to see in this sermon, not only is he showing the true intent of the law, but he's going to do a lot of correcting of everyone's misunderstandings as well. So the Pharisees in particular uh, are, are guilty of a lot of this as they're, as they're the ones who are primarily teaching God's law. We're going to see in Matthew 23, God, or uh, Jesus goes, well, Jesus God, goes right at them uh, and says this, Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple which has made the gold sacred? 
You say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by, uh, swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So in Jesus' day, there's these long, weird, complex oath systems that kind of the Pharisees and the rabbis have designed where they're putting oaths in different categories. These oaths are binding. If you do it, you have to do it. These oaths you can kind of wiggle out of if you want to. So there's these, a bunch of different uh, categories and strange things that Jesus is addressing. If you swear this way, you can technically get out of it, but these others, you can't. And so that's, that is what's happening. Everyone listening to Jesus' words here has that in their mind. When they hear oath, they think a complex system of binding oaths and unbinding oaths and all these different things. So Jesus brings up the law, knowing that's their understanding, and then he is going to show his uh, answer, his true intent of the law. So let's look at verse 34, the, the heart of truth. So with all that in the background, let's look at verse 34. But I say to you, you've heard it said of old, take an oath, fulfill it, swear by, uh, fulfill what you have sworn to the Lord. Verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply, or be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So very simple point. Here's my whole sermon. If you've ever said, I promise, that reveals that deep down you are wicked. I'm just kidding. Uh, let's unpack this. You guys are like, you guys trust me too much. That was, that was a bit concerning for me, I'll be honest. You're like, I was expecting more laughter before I told you I was kidding. Uh, okay, so what, what's Jesus getting at here? He's saying, here, here's my answer. Don't take an oath at all. Simply let your words be truthful all the time. You don't need to take it all, uh, an oath at all. Simply let every word that flows from your mouth be truthful truthful. Again, remember this whole sermon, meaning the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, is revealing what is it like to be a part of the kingdom? What is it like to follow King Jesus and to join his kingdom? You're poor in spirit, you're meek, you're persecuted for righteousness sake, and here you're honest. You speak the truth. He's continuing to show that the reality of those that follow him is that your heart has been transformed, therefore your words have been transformed. Uh, I was talking to a buddy the other day, and we were having a conversation, which is what you do when you're talking. Uh, and I said to him, can I be honest? And he said, have you not been thus far? I was like, yeah, I don't know why we do that, right? I don't know why we bolster our words. Jesus here is quite simply saying, you should never need to clarify when you're being honest. My people are truthful all the time. Again, what he's understanding here, what he's revealing here is your words reveal your heart. In the same way my weak words to my kids reveal something about my heart. Or your, and everyone in here has a thousand kids, 
when they're little and they're just like little smiley blobs, you like, they're beautiful, but you can't really relate to them. And then when they start talking, you learn who they are through their words, right? Their personality. Oh, they're a little whiny. I liked it better when they were silent, right? Man, all my analogies make me look like a real bad dad. Um, <laughs> anyway, Jesus, uh, he's getting at this same point. Uh, so Luke 6, the good person, uh, out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person, out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If you have encountered this Savior, you've been made a new creation. God's taken away your heart of stone, given you a, a living heart. He's put his spirit within you. The heart has changed, and therefore, your words should change as well. You no longer need to constantly bolster up your words with, I swear, or I promise, or can I be honest? Rather, let your regenerated heart show that you are truthful all the time, all the time, right? If I say something like, I swear on my mother's life, uh, which I've never said, uh, I love you, mom, you're not watching this, I don't know why I said that, uh, what does that reveal? I, I'm not truthful enough to where you would believe me just from my words, rather I need to somehow invoke the life of a loved one for you to believe me, right? That should reveal something concerning about me. Jesus says, no need, unnecessary for those that follow me. In fact, the true intent of the law, God's intention of this law is that his people would be a people who are truthful all the time, not just when they're keeping an oath. So much so that they're yes, means yes, and their no means no, okay? That we're a people who are truthful all the time. So that's kind of the foundational point. So the question is, what are all these weird heaven, earth, footstool, gray hair examples, okay? What's he getting at here? Again, remember, he's, he's correcting things in his day, and, and part of the modern slipperiness of Jesus's day is them trying to wiggle out of oaths. So all these examples are explicit corrections, of things that would have been taking place in Jesus' day. So what's happening uh, in, in Judaism in Jesus' day, there was this thought that however close you got to Yahweh's name uh, depended on how, how binding the oath was. So if you say, I swear by Yahweh, or I, I'm going to keep this oath to Yahweh, boom, binding. You've just gotten God's attention and gotten him to look at you. His honor is at stake. Therefore, if you lie, you will be punished. But if you say heaven... I mean, it's still a big thing that kind of bolsters up your words, but technically, technically, I didn't invoke Yahweh's name, so if I change my mind later and I want to get out of this oath, I technically haven't sworn by God and haven't done anything wrong. You see that? See that slipperiness? And so Jesus is going through and uh, exposing that kind of ridiculous understanding of people are thinking, I'm getting close to Yahweh's name so that I have the benefit of you believing me, of me kind of bolstering my words, but technically, if I want to get out of this later, I still can. And so Jesus is going to correct all these misunderstandings, particularly with Scripture. With Scripture. So let's look at the first one, heaven. Verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. So again, people are saying, I swear by heaven, this huge thing where God dwells. But again, they're thinking technically, didn't say Yahweh's name. So if I want to get out of this later, 
I can. It's kind of a way to try to have your cake and eat it too. And Jesus' response is, wait a minute. Remember Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. Heaven is God's throne. Just because you don't say his name doesn't mean he doesn't hear you and see you and expect truth to flow from your lips. Jesus, in a way, saying, your craftiness isn't going to trick God. Heaven is his throne. He sees and he hears. What about their next attempt? So heaven, Jesus squashes that. What about earth? Look at verse 35. Uh, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it it is his footstool. So again, people trying, notice they're getting further away from God. So the earth is still a big thing. Tweet that, uh, right? Earth is still big enough to kind of bolster your claims. But again, I can kind of wiggle out of it because I haven't sworn by God's name. I've sworn by something big, but if I want to get out of this later, I still can. Technically, I haven't mentioned his name, so it might not be binding. And so Jesus, again, is saying, hang on, we're still in Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. In the same way that when you swear by heaven, he hears and he sees, and he expects truth from your lips. When you swear by the earth, he hears and he sees, and he expects truth from your lips. Even though you're trying to work down to get away from him, he is just as near to you as in heaven. In fact, he's far nearer to you than you think. And again, his expectation is truth, no matter if you've taken an oath or not. There's no way to get further away from him just because you've gone down the ladder from heaven and earth. You see that? Is this making sense? People trying to slip out and Jesus is saying, hey, God's everywhere. Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. What's their next attempt? Jerusalem. Another way down. Not the whole earth, but the the great city of Jerusalem. Verse 35 Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Again, getting further away from God to the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, hang on, hang on, hang on. What about Psalm 48? Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Jesus is saying, you swear by Jerusalem, guess whose city that is? His. You haven't gotten further away from him. You haven't gotten one inch further away from him. You swear by Jerusalem, guess what? He's there too. And he hears you, and he sees you, and he expects truth from you. He's everywhere, spoiler alert. I mean, they could keep going. Thankfully, they don't. But Jesus is constantly laying out this point that he is the God who hears and who sees You can't get away from him. One of my favorite uh, stories in the whole Bible. Stupid, I'm already crying. One of my favorite stories is uh, Genesis 16. There's a story where uh, Abraham and Sarah are given a promise that they're going to have a descendant from God. And rather than trusting God, they take things into their own hands. And Sarah says, I'm old, you're old. Uh, How about you take my servant girl, uh, Hagar? 
and uh, become, she can become pregnant. We can have an offspring through her. And Hagar, kind of forced in this situation, uh, obeys. She becomes pregnant. She's treated harshly as a result and then sent out into the wilderness. And so there's this story of this servant girl in this uh, not great situation, I think we'd all agree, um, and sent out into the wilderness uh, expecting to die. And the angel of the Lord comes to her and says, uh, tells her of his plan and his plan for her offspring. And she says, surely you're the God who sees. Surely you're the God who cares for me. I can't imagine a lower, more unseen person than Hagar in that situation, and yet God sees her. Even if you were trying to get away, you can't. That's who God is, and that's what Jesus keeps coming back to over and over and over, and quite, quite simply saying, quit splitting hairs trying to get out of your oath. Quit splitting hairs to wiggle out of doing what you said you were going to do. God is everywhere, and he hears everything. Every word out of your mouth he sees and Hears. You're never off the record with God. I had a buddy that uh, back in the day, back in my sinful days before I became holy, uh, we would say that if we wanted to rant, hey, off the record, and we just say a bunch of sinful, mean things. Uh, and then one day I was like, oh yeah, God uh, always hears my words all the time, and I have like a ton of repenting to do for being dumb, right? Uh, you're never off the record with God. There's never a time where you're like, God, can you close my ears so I can just, or close your ears so I can sin quite a bit. Uh, you're never, it's not a thing, right? He sees you, he hears you all the time, which is both sobering, terrifying in a sense, and comforting. Sobering gives this uh, healthy fear of the Lord that there is no escaping him. There is no Jonah running away from him. Try as you might, you can't. He sees everything, and yet comforting. He sees everything. Psalm 56, 8. You have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Uh, when you can't sleep, and you're tossing, and, and you think, this is just misery that I'm in. There's, there's someone who sees that and who keeps count. And when you weep, there's someone who catches every tear. Again, your God is not distant and unconcerned. Uh, he knows the number of hairs on your head, Luke 12 I heard one pastor say, the greatest narcissist in all the world would not take time to count all the hairs of his head, yet God knows the number, or lack thereof, uh, of hairs uh, on your head. It's easier. I mean, I guess some of us could technically count the number of uh, hairs on our head. But again, there's this sobering yet terrifying, there's this uh, Moses before this cloud on Mount Sinai that I dare not approach yet. Where else do I want to be? But in the midst of his presence, uh, elements to this truth about God, he sees and he hears everything. Let that sober us up. But then who else would you want hearing and seeing everything? 
than this God, who's merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So again, Jesus is just saying, you can't go down the ladder and get away from him. Heaven, earth, Jerusalem, it's all his, right? He's there, he hears, and he sees. And let's look at their last attempt. Speaking of the hairs on your head, uh, verse 36. Do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Uh, People, again, saying, you know, trying to get further away, just saying, I'll I'll leave God out of it altogether. I'll leave God's places out of it altogether, and I'll put it on me. I'll swear by my own life. The idea is, uh, I swear by my own head, meaning if I lie, you can take my head, right? I I swear on my life is, you know, how we would say it uh, today. And again, Jesus is saying, stop trying to play that game. You know who's not in control of your own life? You. You know who is in control of your own life? The one who sits on the throne, the one who has his footstool, the one whose city is Jerusalem, right? Everything you're swearing by is under God's control. Why are you trying to appeal to something you're not even in control of that you can't even change even if you wanted to? Again, God is the one who knows how many hairs are on your head, and he's the one that makes them gray or uh, gone, Uh, uh, he's the one that makes them fall out. I don't really know how balding happens, uh, but he's the one that does that, not you, right? Jesus is continually getting at this idea that he is the one who's in charge of everything. You can't get away from him. Just stop playing this game, right? Nobody knows the reality of God's presence, God's nearness, than his eternal son, Nobody knows the reality of God's nearness than the one who has been eternally in communion with the Father. Jesus knows the reality of Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 1 through 10. O Lord, you search me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word, look at this, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Before an oath has even been taken, he knows it. Before a word has been formed on your tongue, you know it altogether. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the other, uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall uphold me. Jesus knows better than anyone you can't get away from him. You can't get away from him. Again, a terrifying thing for a sinner and an infinitely comforting thing for a sinner. I think of uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia books, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the kids are meeting Mr. Beaver uh, and they're first hearing about Aslan, uh, the character of the lion who represents Jesus. And Susan hears that he's a lion and says, a lion? I think I'd be nervous to meet a lion. Is he safe? 
Uh, and Mr. Beaver says, safe. Who said anything about safe? No, he's not safe. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king. There's this tension here of a terrifying thing for a sinner, but where else should a sinner sprint than to a merciful and gracious God who sees all things? So Jesus, he's been correcting all these examples, and then finally he's going to give us his answer. His answer of how are we meant to wrestle with this? Since God sees everything, what are we meant to do? Since God sees everything and is everywhere, how should we respond with our words? Verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil from evil. Jesus saying, again, rather than trying to wiggle your way out of your promises to get away from God, just say yes and be truthful all the time. Just say no and be truthful all the time because he sees, hears, and knows no matter what. Again, this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount is the people of the kingdom. What does it mean to have this Savior as king, Jesus as king? What does it mean to have God as our father? And again, Jesus here is saying, those that follow me don't need oaths. You don't need them. You're truthful all the time. You're meant to be a people of truth 24-7, right? Never off the record. So what does he actually mean here? I know a lot of you are probably thinking, okay, I did promise my kids we would go to the park. Does that mean I'm evil, right? Uh, okay, that's, that would be slightly missing the point. That literally doesn't mean anytime you say, I promise, you are evil. Uh, again, there's a sense in which, if you're truthful all the time, you wouldn't need to, but that's not Jesus' point. Again, he's correcting the misunderstandings of his day that people are just being slippery, bolstering their words uh, with O's and things like that, and then trying to get out of them in kind of a crafty Way And so Jesus is looking at it from the perspective of the entire need for oaths in the first place is a result of sin, is a result of lies. Again, you don't need oaths if lies never enter creation. And so here, as Jesus is going back to God's original intent and purpose of the law, he's simply saying, being truthful all the time because God hears, right? God, who is the father of truth, hears you. And the devil, who is the father of lies, is the one who is you know, trying to get you to be false and trying to get you to wiggle out of your words and your promises. Okay? Essentially, Jesus is saying, if your starting point is, I can lie unless I make an oath, that's evil. You have, from the start, a motivation of breaking your word. Do you see the difference there between just a straight, don't say, I promise, and if your starting point is, I can lie unless I promise, you see the difference between those two things? That's what Jesus is getting at, the second thing. Don't try and wiggle out of your words. Simply be truthful all the time. And this reveal, I mean, the biggest thing that's happening here uh, is uh, there's no breaks in following Jesus. In the same way that you don't promise and keep your words sometimes, but then there's other times where you can lie to one another because you haven't invoked God's name. When you follow Jesus... You aren't holy some days and then normal other days. There's no breaks in following him, right? There's no times you can just say, I'm just venting, which means you're mad and you want to say whatever you want to say without filtering it through, you know, 
I don't know, godliness, love, care, those, those kind of things. You just want to spew, right? Uh, and so Jesus is saying, that's not a thing with me, right? Uh, you follow me and you are a truthful person all the time. There's not an option of truthful here, untruthful here, or Christian here and unchristian here. We talked about in the first Matthew sermon, uh, Matthew on the fun genealogy sermon, that constantly throughout Matthew, we're going to come back to the theme of when you encounter this Savior, when you encounter this King Jesus, you have two and only two options, crown him or kill him. Those are your only two options. You're not allowed to just like him. You're not allowed to be indifferent to his presence. And here Jesus is showing all through chapter 5, crowning him, having him as king. What everyone in this room who is a Christian would say they have done means he's Lord over all of your lives. He's Lord over your emotions, anger. Right? He's Lord over your anger. He's Lord over your passions, lust. He's Lord over your marriage, Saw that last week and this week. He's Lord over your words. Every word out of your mouth, he is Lord over. There's no getting away from him. If you follow him with your whole life or not at all, you can't just like him or keep him around when convenient. Every word belongs to him. His father hears everything already. He hears Everything. We're not meant to bolster our speech because we're not trustworthy in and of ourselves and we can't get away from the truth. Rather, following this king means let every word out of your mouth simply be truthful all the time. Right? That's the point. That's the point of the sermon. Now, uh, as we close, there's a massive problem that hopefully everyone in this room is aware of. And that is that we fail at this every single day. There's no one in this room who hasn't had the desire to wiggle out of a promise. There's no one in this room who hasn't spoken a quick word out of turn. There's no one in this room who hasn't lied. There's no one in this room who hasn't gone off the record with people, right? Close, buddy. It's a safe place. Let me just vent. You know, everyone does that. Or maybe just me and I'm just projecting on you. But... Uh, right? That's every single one of us. And so thanks again. Great sermon, Jared. Uh, but what do we do when I'm very aware of my failure of that all the time? And again, we're getting to really what this sermon, not this sermon, well, this whole Sermon on the Mount is meant to do. It's meant to crush you. It's meant to expose in your heart your failure. It's meant to make very present in front of your face that no one measures up to this impossible high standard. Nobody passes the anger test of four weeks ago. Sure, I don't think we have any murderers in here, uh, to my knowledge, but we have a lot of haters in here. We've got a lot of angry people in here. We don't have any uh, adulterers in here that I'm aware of, maybe, but uh, we've got a lot of lusters, right? No one passes all of these tests, and nobody passes the test of perfect speech, of no quick words. We all fail at this. This is just a giant mirror exposing our hypocrisy. And so what are we to do? And that's exactly what Jesus wants to bring us. That's exactly where he wants to bring us, to that crushed, hopeless state where we have one more option, and it's to look to the one who's talking to us. 
is to look up. You guys should have seen this coming. This happens every week, right? Just look up to the Savior who is the truth. When your words fail, we have an eternal word who has come. When you don't speak the truth, we have a Savior who is truth himself who has come. Jesus doesn't submit to a higher standard of truth. Truth is truth because he says it. He's the definer of truth. He's the eternal true word who is here in Matthew 5, who has come down in a manger. Why? To save liars to save those who listened to the serpent in Genesis 3, listened to the lies and didn't just listen to them, loved the lies of Genesis 3. He's come down because of our lies. Our sin is a prerequisite to his arrival. He doesn't just show up and say, just wanted to scan creation, see how it was going. Seems like you guys are doing a great job. I guess I'll go back, right? He's come down, not for the righteous, But for sinners, John 1, 1 through 14, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. The eternal true word, Jesus Christ, has come for you and for me. Those who love lies, those who are quick to speak, those who are not careful with our words, those who tragically, tragically fall short of his standard of perfection. And he is the only one who doesn't fall short. When he's tempted by the lies of the serpent, does he fall short? No. In fact, he defeats them with truth, fights and defeats them with truth. The only one who has never let a false word Slip, who's never needed to bolster his claims with lofty speech, has come to save you and I who are constantly falling short. He is the way, the life, and the truth. So let me encourage you, let this crush you, and let it, please let it make you look up to truth himself because he came and all of your wicked speech was put on him, though he never uttered a word out of turn, every out of turn word you and I have ever uttered was put on him and paid for by him. And his perfect, holy speech was put on you, clothed and wrapped around you that you might have his righteousness. He takes our sin and we, by his unthinkable grace, take his Righteousness. So, quite simply, as you go about this world, yes, submit your speech to him. Yes, submit your emotions and your passions and your marriage and all these things to him. But as you fall, as you fail, rest 
rely on and walk in this Savior, the eternal word, who is the way, the life, and the truth. Jesus Christ, our glorious Savior. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you that there is forgiveness in your Son. Lord, I thank you that none of this surprises you, that you see all. We thank you that you did. I mean, for God so loved the world that you sent your Son. You saw no one does good, no, not one. That all of our works, all of our good works we could ever put before you are nothing but filthy rags. And yet you send your son that he might be clothed in our filthy rags, that we might be clothed in his righteousness. I praise you that that is the reality of the gospel. Whether we feel it or not, it's true. We love you. We pray that you would sanctify our words and our speech, that they would reflect our king, there would be this peculiar sense about us that our words are different than the rest of the world because we belong to a different kingdom. And we've got a new heart that's been transformed by a glorious, glorious Savior. We pray this in that Savior's beautiful name, Jesus' name. Amen.